Well, morning, everybody. Toad baked some cookies. And these cookies smelled very good. And Toad ate one. They taste even better, he said. So Toad ran to Frog's house. Frog, Frog, cried Toad. Taste these cookies I have made. And Frog ate one of the cookies. These are the best cookies I have ever eaten, said Frog. Frog and Toad ate many cookies, one after another. You know, Toad, Frog said with a mouth half full, I think we should stop eating. We will soon be sick. You are right, said Toad. Let us eat one last cookie, then we will stop. Frog and Toad ate one last cookie. There were many cookies left in the bowl. Frog, said Toad, let us eat one very last cookie, and then we will stop. Frog and Toad ate one very last cookie. We must stop eating, cried Toad as he ate another. Yes, said Frog, reaching for a cookie. We need willpower. What is willpower, asked Toad. Well, willpower is trying very hard not to do something you really want to do. You mean like trying hard not to eat all these cookies, asked Toad. Right, said Frog. Frog put the cookies in a box. There, he said, now we will not eat any more cookies. But we can open the box, said Toad. Uh, That is true, said Frog. So Frog tied some string around the box. There, he said. Now we will not eat any more cookies. But we can cut the string and open the box, said Toad. That is true, said Frog. Frog got a ladder. He put the ladder up on a high shelf. There, he said. Now we will not eat any more cookies. But we can climb the ladder, take the box down from the shelf, cut the string and open the box, said Toad. That is true, said Frog. So Frog climbed the ladder, took the box down, cut the string, opened the box. He took the box outside and he shouted in a loud voice, Birds! Birds, here are some cookies! Birds came from everywhere. They picked up all the cookies in their beaks and they flew away. Now we have no more cookies to eat, said Toad sadly. Not even one. Yes, said Frog. But we have lots and lots of willpower. (laughs) You may keep it all, Frog, said Toad. I'm going home now to bake a cake. <laughs> now, as Simon said, we're right in the middle of a series, or start of a series called Start. And the whole idea, really, is that we want, right at the beginning of the year in January, to give us all an opportunity to think about areas of our lives that we think, you know, maybe some things that we're you know, hopeful about or excited about, maybe other areas that we are more disappointed about, and really kind of resolve maybe areas that we think, You know, if we could adjust things, this is what we'd adjust. However, this kind of series comes with a bit of a health warning. Because left to our own devices, we will do a bit of a frog and toad. Left to our own devices, when it comes to reviewing and reflecting on our lives and thinking about the year ahead, we will tend towards the frog and toad approach, which is this. When I want to change something, When I want something to be different, I'm going to grit my teeth, I'm going to try harder, and I'm going to tell myself, this time it will be different. I'm going to use willpower. Has anybody found that willpower is a particularly effective way of changing their lives? The truth is willpower has its place, but it doesn't work very well fundamentally in terms of making key changes. It works for a while, But the truth is, our will gets tired. They've done studies on willpower. Willpower is like a muscle. In effect, it gets tired after a while. You find you just don't care enough. 
left to our own devices when it comes to changing our lives, changing our worlds, adjusting the way we do things, we will tend to walk in circles around and around the same issues. Have you ever discovered this in your life? Years ago, I went for a walk with my eldest brother. We were in Yorkshire on the moors, and my parents had dropped us off in one place and we were going to pick us up on another. And we were walking a section of the Pennine Way, which is supposed to be a pretty major walking route. Okay? We were on top of some moorland. Uh, the mist came down and suddenly what was supposed to be a route that you could see just disappeared. And for about the next hour we walked basically around and around in circles. And every 15 minutes we'd get back to the same point wondering where had the route gone? They have done studies on people. They take them to a desert or woods or places like that where there is nothing to navigate by. Human beings, without any kind of way of navigating, will walk in circles. Did you know that? We walk in circles. That is how we live our lives sometimes. We circle around the same issues. Every so often, we get psyched up and pumped up that things are going to change. And then so often after a while when things don't quite change the way we hope them to, we resign ourselves that this is the way it will always be. So I want to say this month as we look at these issues, we are not wanting to teach you to get psyched up to try harder to change things. This is not a frog and toad moment. Fundamental change for a believer doesn't come by trying harder in and of itself. What it comes and where it comes from is by surrendering more. Jesus said in the Gospels, if you want to find your life, you'll lose it. But if you lose your life, you'll find it. In other words, if you will surrender to me, that is where change begins. I don't just need to do things better. I need a better me. I need God to do a work inside me because change fundamentally works inside out. So today, whilst at the end of this preach, I'm going to talk about some steps I want you to take, some action I want to encourage you to take. Mostly what I'm praying for is that God will speak to you inside. Because change works inside out. That's why Solomon in Proverbs 4 says this, Above all else, guard your heart. For everything you do flows from it. In other words, the way we live, the people we are, the things that we hope to adjust and change flows from what is happening inside us out. So as we go through January and as we go through this message, what we're praying for is, God, will you do something inside me? Will you change my view? Will you give me a sense of faith? Will you help me understand the promises over my life? Will you do something in me that creates change inside out? So let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you're here and we thank you for your word. And I want to pray as we look at this subject together that you would speak to us right into the heart of us and where things need to change or where you just want to put your finger on aspects of our world, God, I pray that you'd do that. And you'd pray, I pray, God, you'd find our hearts to be like good soil. Amen. So with that in mind, I want to speak today on a subject which is very close to my heart, something which I care about. Because this subject that we're going to teach about or look at together has been critical in my own faith walk in the last 20 years. And I want to talk to you about the subject of friendship and about connection and about the importance of community. 
And the way I'm going to do this today, I'm going to do it a little bit differently. And I want to talk a little bit more about my story. And as we walk through my story, and I'm going to be quite vulnerable with you, I want to bring out some of the things that I felt God taught me on my way. Now, I'm aware that in a room like this today, there'll be some of you who'll be like, Every, a lot of the stuff I teach on, you're not going to be able to relate to at all. It's not going to be your story at all. But others, I do believe, will be able to go, I can relate to that. That's true of me, or I need to hear that, or I need to, that needs to change in my life. So I have some notes, and I have five things I want to speak about, but we're probably going to go a bit off-road, so I hope that's okay. But five things I've learned about the issue of friendship and connection and community in my own life in the last 20 years. And here's the first one, lesson number one. I learned this early on. I need community. I need connection. In other words, I don't do very well when I'm not connected into a church. I've discovered that. When I was 18 years old, I left home and I went to university. I went to study history. I went to play a lot of sport and music as well, but I went to study history. I learned a lot of things, but one of the main things I learned was this. You never find your old church somewhere new. And if you don't get into a church as a believer, if you don't get into a new community of Christians, you are going to really, really struggle. For three years, I didn't really find a church and get involved. I would go periodically and my faith reflected my experience of church. It was loose. For all my history of church, I grew up going to church. I have like generations of Christians before me, pastors before me, people who prayed for me. For all my experience and history, I discovered that I was no exception to the rule. I need to be connected, and so do you. Years later, when I moved to London, I was playing music. I played in the band, We gigged a lot, and on a few occasions, we would tour abroad. I was the only Christian in the band, and I noticed this. Their values, their beliefs, their lifestyle rubbed off on me. It didn't matter how strong I felt I was, how clear I was as a Christian, it just happens. This is what Proverbs 12 says. The righteous choose their friends carefully, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. In other words, who you connect to primarily affects the trajectory of your life. That's what I discovered. It's true. I am no exception to the rule, and neither are you. I remember being away on one tour for two weeks. We're in the south of France gigging. It's a very challenging context to be in as a Christian. If you work in the arts, you're an actor or in your music or whatever the world, I understand it's a challenging world to be in. I was away for two weeks, and I found it a very challenging place to be in terms of the lifestyle around me. So I remember ringing some friends from home. I rang Martin and Ruth Alley. Some of you will know them. Martin was an elder here. And I spoke to them on the phone. I can't even remember what we spoke about. But just calling home changed something for me. It was like it reminded me of who I was meant to be and how God wanted me to live. Years later, I found this quote by John Ortberg. It says this, Community tethers you to what is most important. That's true. In other words, this, if you're a Christian and you're a believer and you want to walk with God and you want your walk to grow, you have to connect into a church. I've met Christians who say to me, well, I'm kind of doing that thing where I go to some churches occasionally or, well, we just do something in our house, but we just, you know, or it's just me and my wife and we pray, but we've kind of stepped out of church. It won't work because you are never made to work like that. Maybe you have walked around in circles for far too long. 
Maybe the truth is part of the issue for you is you have never landed in a church. I know exactly what that is like. And all I can say to you is you need to find a church. If not this one, then another one. But you have to get involved. You are no exception to the rule. Community matters. Connection matters. You will not make it as a Christian on your own. That's the first lesson I learned, and I suspect it's true for all of us. Lesson number one. When I was 22, I moved to London. That was about 10 years ago. Okay, it was about 23 years ago. Okay, I was going to be in London for one year. I'm still here. I just finished university. I'd been teaching abroad in a Christian school in India. And then I moved to London. I had some friends who I wanted to play music with. I had learnt, lesson number one, that you had to find a church so I lived in East Dulwich. I discovered that there were two bus routes to two New Frontiers churches, one in Penge, one in Catford. The 176 went to Penge, 185 went to Catford. And I said to God, and I don't normally make decisions like this, whichever bus comes first is fine. <laughs> I'm sorry to say for you, the 185 came first. Okay, I walked in. The church was full of great people. It wasn't the church necessarily I was looking for at all, but I knew you'd got to get in. You've got to get in. It's not a consumer thing. This is not about meet all my needs. This is about I've got to get in. If I don't get in, I'm going to struggle, and this is too important for me to struggle. So maybe the worship isn't everything I want, or maybe the teaching isn't everything, or whatever it is, I've got to get in. So I got in. Me and the 185 came to Catford every Sunday. <laughs> but I learned this, lesson number two in the years that came. And this isn't a reflection on the church. It's a reflection on me primarily, at my stage of life at that point, but this is what I learned when it comes to connection, community, and friendship. Friendly people are not the same as friends. You see, it's possible to be in church, it's possible to be really involved in church, it's possible to serve hard, all those things, and actually not have any close friends. I knew names, I went to houses, I was invited for dinner, people were friendly. But the truth is, I'm not sure I had any real friends. And what I discovered was this. That can go on for years and years. And for men especially, it can go on for years and years. I'm sure it's not exclusive to men. I'm sure that's the same for some ladies here as well. But I would say men, I have learned especially, is my story was unique. So I started to ask questions. I got more involved, I served harder, people were good to me, but I started to ask these questions. What would happen if we moved away? Would anybody miss me? Would they miss what I do? Yes, I think so. But would they miss me? And I realized that I had just got used to the things the way they were. You see, what you discover is, you know, when you go through education, school, or university, or something like that, the friendship thing is a lot easier. Sometimes it's painful, more painful, but the opportunities for friendship are rich. When you move to the city, some of you are from the city, but if you move city, or you move house, or you get married, and you move into a new church, you will find the friendship thing is far more complicated. The opportunities are far more limited. And you can just settle for something which is just far less rich. And it becomes normal. And when I looked around the people I knew, particularly at the guys I knew, particularly those who are older than me, I think their experience was pretty similar to mine. Lots of friendly people, 
not many friends. And I realized, for the sake of my soul, I really missed having good friends. Community matters. Friendly people are not the same as having friends. I needed people who knew me, people that I knew, people who would do me good, people who would spur me on, people who made me think, and people who would accept me even when I wasn't at my best. I discovered that in church, it's dead easy to settle for something a lot less. But I just increasingly had this nagging sense that this was not everything the way it should be. Lesson number two, friendly people are not the same as having friends. Number three, here's the third lesson I learned when it comes to connection and community. That there is a certain theology that comes from silence. The reason I believe this or I learned this was because I discovered, I realized as time went on and I started to think and I started to read, that I'd never heard anyone teach on this in church before. Maybe I'd missed it, maybe people had spoken about it, but I couldn't recall ever hearing anyone talk to me and teach me on the importance of friends. In fact, if anything I had grown up with, and I don't know where I'd got it from, but I had grown up with this sense that friends were like a luxury item as you grew older. That actually in church, all you really need is Jesus. Now we sing songs like that, and I understand what we're singing And because all we really do need is Jesus. But the fact is, Jesus works through people to us. The way God has ordained things is, we we really do only need him, but he's created the whole thing in such a way that the primary way that I experience him is through other people. So in that sense, he's, he's not all that I need, only. Charles Swindle, who wrote a book on David and talks about David's friendship with Jonathan, And David doesn't make it without Jonathan. Says this, For years, in one particular church that I attended as a young man, I was taught that if you were really mature, you don't need anyone else. That it's only the weak person who needs others. Now, I don't know if I've really heard it talked quite as explicitly like that, but I know that sentiment. Actually, I think God sees it completely differently. That's not the way God views it at all. You read the Genesis accounts about creation. You read about how God made Adam. You'll know that each day at the end of the day, of the creation day in that week, God reviews everything and says it's good. And then he gets to one day where suddenly he says, it's not good. The first time God names something as not good is when he sees Adam's aloneness. So it's not good for Adam to be. There's something missing. There's a disconnect. This is not how this was meant to be. And so God makes Eve. John Ortberg, who wrote a brilliant book called Everyone's Normal Until You Get to Know Them, (laughs) which is a good book about community, says this about that passage. The human being is in a state of perfect intimacy with God. Each word he and God speak with each other is filled with closeness and joy. He walks with God in the garden in the cool of the day, He is known and loved to the core of his being by his omniscient, love-filled creator. Yet the word God uses to describe him is alone. And God says that this aloneness is not good. Sometimes in church circles, when people feel lonely, we will tell them not to expect too much from human relationships. That there is inside every human being a God-shaped void 
that no other person can fill. That is true. But apparently, according to the writer of Genesis, God creates inside this man a kind of human-shaped void that God himself will not fill. I think that's true. I'd kind of grown up thinking, almost assuming, certainly through experience, beginning to settle with the fact that this is how it was. You just work hard, you serve hard, and your connections are at a certain level. That's the way it goes, particularly for men. But that's just not the way God intends it for us. There was a theology of silence. Here's the fourth lesson I learned. I learned that this connection, this issue of friendship, is not a luxury thing. This is God's plan. See, not only did I just learn that my faith struggled to survive when I was disconnected from church, when I just wasn't in a community, what I have come to understand is the only way I really grow is when I'm connected in. If you read through the, whole, the, old, the New Testament, and we could do a whole study on the New Testament if you like, pretty much every reference to growth and change and spiritual change uh, and sanctification in the New Testament is always, always, always in the context of relationship, friendship, and community. We are to love one another, encourage one another, provoke one another. In other words, the idea of a lone ranger Christian simply does not exist when it comes to New Testament theology. Jesus says, where two or three are gathered, in Matthew 18, I'm there in your midst. In other words, when you are together, I'm there. In 1 Corinthians, we're told that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. In other words, in the middle of where we are together, God is present in a way that we don't experience on our own. You see, so often we want God to speak to us like zap us on our own, supernaturally like that. And that does happen. But so often God speaks to us just through other people. Some of you will know this story, but about two years ago, we moved house. Friends of ours moved abroad. They very kindly offered us their house. And uh, it was a great offer, but there was something inside me which was slightly, like, concerned because I knew this was going to be a whole load of work, moving house and all that stuff. So I struggled a little bit with it internally. Two things happened which were incredibly helpful and reassuring for me. One was the kind of like God to me zap moment. Another was God speaking to me through someone else. Okay? One of the things that happened to me was this. We got a Christmas card that Christmas from a friend of ours, Tim, who'd done FP with us, done a year out with us, and he wrote to us. He didn't know anything about our situation, but he said, oh, Dear Finn and Sarah, you know, just wanted to write to you, say Happy Christmas, tell you a bit about our year. And then he said, I just want to say, as I'm writing this Christmas card, I felt God speak to me. I don't know if this means anything to you, Uh, But I feel God says to you, the house is perfect, just jump. Lots of love, Tim. Bang, out of the blue, God speaks. Okay, we love those moments, don't we? And I love those moments. But just as powerful as that moment was, I went camping that summer with a friend of mine, with a whole bunch of friends. And we were talking about this situation, about the house and the offer that came up and all that stuff. And I remember my friend Johnny looking at me, he turned to me and he said, Phil, in the end, the house is just bricks and mortar. And when he said it to me, honestly, I'm not overplaying it. I felt like God was speaking in a campsite in a field in Wales, just through a mate of mine. God speaks to us, sometimes in the kind of amazing supernatural, but often through people around you. If you are not connected in, 
if you are not in a circle, if you don't have friends who know you, if you don't share your life with people, if you don't share your faith with people, if you don't tell people, this is where I am, I'm struggling, or I'm in a good place, or this is hard for me, then you are cutting off part of God's supply line to you. This is God's plan, that you are richly connected into a community where people can help you grow and help change. Here's the last one. Lesson number five. This is what I learned. When it comes to friendship, when it comes to connection, when it comes to community, it is my choice as to what I do. God allows us to choose. See, in churches, everyone assumes when it comes to friendship that everybody else is sorted. Everyone looks, it's about, it's like the Facebook thing. People see little snapshots of your life on Facebook and everything looks amazing. Very few people post pictures of them looking miserable and sad. <laughs> Had a rubbish, boring day, got no friends, Facebook posts. Not, a few people might do that, but they don't have many friends on Facebook. Most people's like, here, I'm having a great time. Here, me with my friends. Look at my life. And everyone's like, oh, they have a great life. They have so many friends. Their world's amazing. Everyone assumes everybody else is connected. But not everybody else is. When you don't have close friends, do you know what you really want most of all? You want the people around you to realize that and make moves towards you. Because that feels reassuring. The truth is, however, that is rarely going to happen now. What you have to do is you have to choose. What I had to do is I had to take responsibility. I remember I had to be honest about it. As I was growing through church life, as I took on more leadership, and I started to become aware that I wasn't sure that I had any close friends, I had to be honest about it. I had to kind of, I remember talking with other people. I remember talking with Sarah. I remember saying, I'm not sure who my friends are. And I'm not happy about it. In fact, it was a bit miserable. It was not going to be a great Facebook post. I had to be honest. I remember we prayed. God, give us friends. Help us. I remember deciding that simply working hard and serving hard in church was not enough for me. I remember, whether, regardless of whether anybody else thought I was a bit nuts, I remember thinking, this isn't how it's going to be for me. And then, I remember, we assigned the single most critical and precious resource when it comes to friendship to this issue, and that is the issue of time. If you want to build friendships, if you want your life to be relationally rich, you have to give people time. And that is the very thing in our society we struggle with. We just don't have the time. The truth is we do have the time. But you have to choose not to do certain things in order to do these things. And gradually, gradually, things changed. Bill Hybels says this about the issue of friendship. I have been in ministry for more than 20 years. During these years, it's a lot more than that now, so this book's a few years old. During these years, I have seen literally thousands of spiritually-minded, intelligent, well-meaning people search with a vengeance for the right doctor, the right dentist, the right accountant, the right lawyer, even the right tennis coach. But when it came to searching for the right friends to walk with for the rest of their lives, there was no diligence, no careful searching, 
no aggressive pursuit. In regard to friendship, these otherwise thoughtful and energetic people seem to be passive, uninterested, and unmotivated. It's very easy to be like that when it comes to friends. But I want to say to you, I don't think that's God's plan for you. But it is your responsibility. All of us want somebody else to give us a call. All of us want somebody else to invite us out. All of us want that. The person whose responsibility it is to give someone a call, to make a move, it's you. It's me. It is your choice. No one else will make it for you. It's your life. If you need it to change, you have to make some decisions. Now, if you're here today, and the truth is this isn't your story at all, you're like connected, connected, connected. Good for you. None of us like you very much, okay? (laughs) Now, if that is where you are, here's your job. Your friendship circles are not just for you. Your job is to open your world to other people who don't have that. You ought to look for the ones who are new in town, the people who are not new in town but clearly are not that close, and you are to open your circle and invite them in. You look for the girl who's just married the guy and she's just moved into town from another church and everyone assumes she's sorted, but she's not. You look for them and you open your world to them. Two things I want to say as we close. Right at the beginning of this year, if you are on the edge of the church, okay, you have got to step in. If your faith matters to you, whether this church is the one, if it's not this one, do it in another one, okay, but whichever church it is, you've got to stop messing about on the edge. You have to step in. You are no exception to the rule. Your faith will suffer in the end. You may survive as a Christian, but just about that's as good as it gets. In other words, you have to find a community. You have to commit to it. You need to get there regularly. This is not a pastor's plea to umpire numbers. This is simply for the sake of your own soul. You have to connect to a community because that's how God made you. So if you're in the edge of church and this is the church for you, step in. If you come once every month, start coming every week. You've never get in a group, you get in a group because that counts when it comes to the health of your soul. That's the first thing. Here's the second thing. If you're in the church and you're surrounded by friendly people but you need some friends, I want to just plea with you, don't settle for that. If you're a guy, tell another friend of yours or another guy, this is where I'm at. If you're not in a group, get in a group, okay? We can't make it any simpler. I can't make it any plainer. God has ordained it in such a way that the, one of the ways he meets with us and speaks to us and changes us is in the midst of relationships. And if you need that, if, you're not, if that's not rich enough for you right now, you need to step in.